Welcome to the Latest United We Stand podcast. I'm Andy Mitten, and this podcast is brought to you in association with Betfred. Fred Doan opened his first shop in Salford in 1967. I'm on a boat in Helsinki Harbour, and I look around me and I see Brian Robson next to me, uh, Keith Gillespie, David May, Wes Brown, Ben Thornley, Rod Thornley, Russell Beardsmore. Danny Simpson, uh, Danny Webber, there's others downstairs. So I've come to Helsinki uh, to see the opening of the Red Room. The Finnish Red, Jera, has got this incredible collection of Manchester United memorabilia and it numbers some 35,000 items and he's opened, it's like a museum, but it's a private one and we went there last night and there's going to be a game today between um, United players who are here, former United players who are here, managed by Brian Robson, uh, ahead of Finland's Nations League game. And it's in the adjacent stadium. They've sold a couple of thousand tickets. And they've just asked me if I want to play in the game before it with some journalist influencers. And I've said yes, but I'm regretting it because 48 and they're some of them are in their early 20s so I've just asked Brian Robson for advice and he basically said put your feet up going into a challenge so if I'm going to take advice off anybody it might as well be him I don't know where this podcast is going but I'll try and bring some interesting people onto it given that there's no football this weekend and given that the people who I'm with and I'll do most of the talks when we get off this boat because I realise the engine is not adding to your enjoyment when you're listening to it but I thought you know it's not often I'm on a boat in Helsinki Harbour so why not start the podcast here so I'm sat on the bench here in the stadium next to the Olympic Stadium in Helsinki Uh, to my right Brian Robson is the manager David May Lee Martin Russell Beardsmore and the team of uh, veterans wearing red are leading 1-0 against a side of Finnish all-stars people like Chef Kikuchi and quite a lot of players who familiar faces they've played in Premier League or Championship in England there's a crowd of about 1,500 here. The banter and the crack still very prevalent among the players, that dressing room spirit. And. Oh no! no off- yeah, there's a perfect example of contesting the offside. Um, 16 United fans came here from Malta uh, to support Jerry in his red room. And there's a lot of Finnish United fans here singing. You and I, D.A.D. United on the team for me with a nick. Not bad if I give a dog a boat. Why don't City fuck off home? Where are you from, mate? I'm from Helsinki, Finland. What have you made of that? Have you enjoyed the game? Oh, lovely. Enjoyed. Manchester United won 2-0. Yeah, 
and um, people are happy to cheer it. The veterans of uh, most of them who played for Manchester United, they're called here. Uh, the Reds. Let's go get some pictures of them. So I'm with Jerry, the man. Uh, how do you feel having brought brought all this together and just seen a team wearing red win the game and a successful event? Players smiling, players being interviewed. Amazing. Uh, not only the players are smiling, but the audience also. And uh, both teams did really well and they are doing the uh, signings there. Uh, it looks really good and I, I think um, next year we're going to do it even bigger. What do you think the reaction has been to the people here? I mean, looking behind you now, there is a sea of young Manchester United fans. Yeah. Wes Brown is signing autographs uh, in front of them. Yeah. And uh, it's just a really nice feeling, isn't it? Because it's, it's very unlikely that Manchester United would send a team here because it's such a small market. Yeah, so. yeah, indeed. So the problem is to live in a country with less than six million people, but yeah. then you have to do it yourself. Yeah. And um, here we go. Yeah. No, it's good. And you've had a good feedback from the Finnish players as well. Yeah, really good feedback. And also they said that the next year uh, they all want to play. So maybe, maybe also United lads will fight who's going to come to Finland. So you've got the, the Red Room. Tell us a little bit about it. Tell people listening to this podcast. Yeah, yeah yesterday we officially opened the Helsinki Red Room, which is a 210 square meter uh, private museum of 35,000 United uh, items. So uh, I'd, I'd say it's a hobby which just went a little bit bigger during the years. And what do people say about this hobby which went a little bit bigger? <laughs> Sounds like an obsession for me. Well, I, I'd say religion. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. All right. I'm having that. All right. I can see that you've just handed out the trophies. So yeah. you go mix and enjoy yourself. And well done for putting this on. Thank you. Just have some words of... You've managed the other team. You're yeah. not finished, are you? Just tell us your story for people listening to this in, in, in the UK and further afield. Well, I came out here uh, many moons ago, actually, 1979. Uh, I just was signing a contract with Newcastle United and a guy had called uh, from the north of Finland who had been promised a player from Newcastle and the player that was supposed to come was injured and it just so happened I was in the office and uh, the gaffer asked me, um, could you sort of get me out of trouble here, please? Um, I said, what do you mean? He said, well, I promised a player to a team in the north of Finland. Could you tra travel in two days' time and help them during the summer? So I actually came out here, uh, played a few games, scored five or six game, uh, goals in five or six games. Went back to England, things didn't quite work out, so I came the following year. And uh, the year that I'd been on loan, the team won the championship, actually, so it made it really easy for me to, co to come back. Uh, it's a team called Olun Palosena, OPS uh, is an abbreviation of it. And then in the 1980, when I came the next year, we won the championship again. And we actually played Liverpool in the European Cup. Luckily or unluckily, we drew them two years in a row in the first round. I was lucky enough, actually, to score a goal at Anfield. But unfortunately, we lost 10-1. Right. So, um, wow. you know, it was a good Liverpool team in those days, in the early 80s. You know, Saunas, McDermott, Kenny Dalglish and these types of players. So you stayed but here? I ended up staying here. I married a, 
I got married, got kids now here, and uh, I've had a, a bit of a career here. I've won a few championships as How a many? player. Um, all together, nine. Nine <laughs> yeah, top as a player. championships. Top flight championships as a player and a coach. Okay. Yeah, uh, okay, eight promotions, that. three cup wins. So I've had a I've had a nice little career out here, you know, and. Um, I've actually just retired, funnily enough. How old are you now? I'm 65 in four weeks' time. And weren't you lined up to get the Finland job at one point? I was lined up to get the Finland job, and we'd actually we'd actually um, had all of the things in place, how we were going to do it, because I was the coach of HJK Helsinki here in uh, the top club in Finland, and I'd, they'd agreed the compensation and how we were going to do it. And then all of a sudden, we didn't hear from the FA, me and the boss of the club, we didn't understand what was going on, and suddenly Roy Hudson popped up, right and Roy so. Roy came here as the coach. You know, nice guy, gentleman. So I didn't mind losing it in that way, but um, <laughs> it would have been nice. How's your finish? Uh, well, I actually do work for a, a company called Via Play, who yeah, have the rights yeah. to the Champions yeah, League. Yeah, yeah. So I met Brian Robson a few weeks yeah, ago yeah. there in at the Arsenal game. We had a chat, and. Uh, I speak Finnish with a Geordie accent, so <laughs> it seems to go down well with a lot of people. Did you yeah. enjoy it today, playing against... Uh, I thought it was fantastic. It was yeah. great seeing somebody like Chris Eagles, for instance, you know, who I know, and uh, he's, uh, you know, running around like a 20-year-old, you know. Uh, where's Brown? Classy as ever, you know. It was great to see the boys there, yeah. I mean, we all put on a little bit of weight, but you never lose the scale, as they say, you know. Lovely to talk to you. Thank you. So I'm with Chef Kikuchi. Um, where did you play in the Premier League? Well, I had uh, obviously Blackburn mm-hmm. when it was Premier League, and then I had uh, a little bit of time with uh, Fulham, yeah. Fulham and Newcastle. So those those were Premier League clubs. So uh, long, long time ago. And you played with James Scowcroft, didn't you? <laughs> yeah, we had a we had a time together at uh, Crystal Palace, and uh, of course uh, I know I know Scowy for quite a few years now. So you're back in Finland now. You're living here. Oh, yeah, yeah. I, li- I live I live here, yeah. but uh, I spend loads of time uh, in UK. So uh, I've been trying hard to get back back into management, you know, over there. So I, uh, I had a few years over here managing a couple of clubs. So uh, I'm just trying to get back back to UK. But as we all know, it's, it's getting harder and harder every time. How was it today to play against uh, the players? A lot of them were at Manchester United. It's always, always great, and uh, especially nowadays when, when you still think you can, you can hang on a little bit and How play. Old are you now? But I'm 45 now, but uh, it's always, always great, you know, and uh, brings brings those memory back to me. What was it like to play against Manchester United when you were in the Premier League? What was it like to play at Old Trafford? Well, that time when I when I was there, you know, it's like. Um, you know, you always went there, and you think, you know, if we can make something today, you know, it will be it will be great result. So, uh, any result, it was it was amazing there, you know. But uh, I had a, I had a, a good time with uh, obviously we 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 beat uh, that season when I was uh, Blackburn. We beat Man United home and away, so uh, it was it's it great great what year memory. Was that? I've erased that from my memory. <laughs> yeah, if you remember when, uh, especially at home, we we beat them for. Four, three when uh, David Bentley yeah. scored the hat trick, so uh, and we won two one, two one away at Old Trafford. So who would be marking you when you played against Manchester United, and, and what were those players like? Well, it was uh, obviously uh, Ferdinand Vidic, all you know, and Vidic. I think that season was the first season, so. Yeah. But uh, you know, those two 
those two are, are they tough to play against what, yes. why well with it you know everybody knows you know he, he was just warrior you know he, he just don't let anything go through and uh, Ferdinand he was more more classy you know he was tall he was quick you know he was good in a ball but uh, you know they, they were the pair you know like you always knew you're gonna have a tough tough day but how tall are you I'm uh, 197, so, so it's like you were six good in the air. Yeah, well, that that was my strength, to be fair. And you know, I I I, I like I love those battles. You know, when uh, when I was against uh, Rio Ferdinand, John Terry, and all all those guys. You know, when the obviously they were the, at the best best career at the, at the time. You know, so uh, but great memories, great memories. And um, how do you look back at your career now? Just fantastic memories. And how many times did you play for Finland? I played 62 times, wow. 62, so uh, uh, like you said, you know, you always wish, wish, uh, and you want to do better, but like I said, for me to spend 14 years in the UK, you know, uh, I, think, uh, I think it was, uh, it was a decent achievement. Thank you for your time. Thank you. So you scored against Manchester United in 1965. Yes, I did it. It was a wonderful night. How old were you at the time? Uh, I was a 70 years old schoolboy. Yes, I, I'm, my school is uh, 300 meters from stadium. And be, the match day, I'm looking in windows, the stadium, and waiting the evening. That then I can play against Super Manchester United. Did you play in both of the games? Yes. So, the first, which one was first? First in, at home. At home. At home. And three. And two. Three. And you're playing against some huge names. Yes. Big, big stars. What can you remember about them? I remember I play number six and number ten is Dennis Law. Because when we play system double VM, six against ten and uh, nine to four. The, Crowd, the now church number. But that's it's the only competitive game between Manchester United and a Finnish side, even to this day. Manchester United were, were the champions of England. HJK, obviously, the champions of, yeah. of Finland. What did the United players say to you after the game? Because you would have been the youngest player on the pitch. Uh, yes, it's uh, okay. It's a uh, marvelous. Uh, um, atmosphere in stadium and the same in Old Trafford because the, it's, Old Trafford is very um, fog. We cannot uh, see the other goals. It's very fog and we play in and uh, our goalkeeper said that he didn't see in and that's right, uh, Manchester United scored six. Because of the fog? <laughs> <laughs> because it was foggy? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I like but, that. But it's, uh, then it's the uh, rules that our goalkeepers hurt his uh, knee, yeah. and then uh, no changes. Okay. Only changes then. We have to play goalkeeper who is like invalid. Okay. So if, if there hadn't been fog, and if the goalkeeper hadn't been injured, do you think you might have knocked Manchester United out of the European Cup? Could see. Maybe we lost only five nil. Now we is six nil. And do you look back at that as one of the strongest memories from your football career? It's a, it's a best uh, remember. And best memory? It, yeah, of course, because I remember 
when after the old travel we go to Midland Hotel. Yeah. Maybe you know Midland Hotel. Yeah, the Midland Hotel. And uh, we are then we are together, Manchester United players and HAK players. Yeah. And it's then uh, Manchester United players uh, sing together for Queen, Queen, Queen. We all uh, stand up yeah. and we sing in some good, good. What is the the national anthem? National, yes. Yeah. Yes, and it's very, very. Nice to be. Then. So you're in the Midland Hotel, Midland Hotel yes. with all those um, players. Did you speak to any of them? Yes, we speak what we can speak. Did you speak English at the time? All the time, yes. But uh, then, not many players speak English because it's uh, not in, in one, it's not international words then. But uh, uh, we we. When we take some beers, then our language is more and more better. <laughs> I love you. Yes. And I'm then really... When we're speaking, I, uh, then we fluent. see that, that uh, the players take uh, quite much alcohol then. Yeah. And, and every time when Manchester play, we open the television in home and looking, and I take this way. How old are you now? How old are you now? I'm 74. Brilliant. 74. It's lovely to meet you. Yeah. I'm delighted to be joined by Matt Dickinson. Matt is a renowned journalist and he's just written a book, 1999, Manchester United, The Treble and all that. It's 99 chapters. He spoke to lots of different people from David Beckham who was in the last United We Stand, to Alex Notman, who will be in the next United We Stand, and everyone in between. There are 99 chapters. As a journalist, I love the fact that he's put the, the hours in, put the miles in, he's gone to speak to people, he's gone in search of new material, and it's all about that treble season, but there's a lot of cultural stuff in there as well. Uh, thanks for joining us, uh, Matt. Why did you do the book, and, and what was the writing process like? Um, yeah, good question. I mean, why did the book, I, I mean, in some ways I could say the obvious thing is actually, you know, the feat of the treble is unprecedented still. And despite Liverpool and City obviously having, uh, having tilted it in the last couple of years, um, I could say that obviously the drama, I think, of that season is unprecedented and historic as, as any United fan will, will remember. But I think the biggest reason was... The characters in the team, I just think they're still some of the most recognisable, you know, known characters we talk about. You know, Roy Keane on the telly, Gary Neville on the telly, David Beckham, one of the most famous sportsmen of all time, you know, in England uh, and far beyond. Alex Ferguson, the greatest of managers. And I just used to reflect not just on the trophies these guys won, but the, 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 the huge characters and personalities and I just had the chance to, as you say, to, to sit down and relive it. I was lucky enough to cover it at the time and to, to be up close and personal with a lot of these characters. And, and I wanted to, to relive the drama, relive the glory, um, but also see how they reflected more than 20 years later. Who did you find most interesting when you spoke to them? Give us a couple of examples of people you tracked down and who told you yeah, stuff I you mean, didn't know at the time. From the team, I'd say, I mean, I think I was really struck by sitting down with Teddy Sheringham at his home um, in Essex, which is called Camp Nou, um, for, for, for very good reasons. Um, 
he, you know, at the time, he was regarded as a bit aloof, you know, to the, a lot of the media. Um, I think, you know, we found him quite a hard nut to crack. So it was really interesting to sit down with him. He really opened up. He talked, um, uh, as in, I won't sort of too much of a spoiler, but he talks about you know, certainly massive fallout with Roy Keane that we weren't aware of at, at all. I mean, it's, it was sort of you know, slightly embarrassing to realise as a journalist we missed this, but yeah, basically they pretty much came to blows and then Roy Keane didn't speak to him for, for three and a half years as, as a teammate. Um, but it wasn't just that, it was the way that he, yeah, he opened up about how he struggled to fit into the dressing room. You know, everyone remembers the 99 season as for his you know that goal um off his uh, off his sock in 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 the final but actually yeah he he had a really tough time didn't really feel like he had a sort of you know group of friends in the dressing room and he yeah just really reflected so he was really interesting just to understand that even in a, a team of so much glory and success there were lots of complex dynamics and rifts and difficulties so I think him, and then you mentioned Alex Notman. Um, I wanted to just not just do the sort of glory and the obvious names, but but one, you know, some obscure characters or you know people that we we forget about. And he, Alex Notman, made one twenty-minute appearance in in the League Cup that season. Alex Ferguson told him the day after, you know, I think this is the launch pad for a great Man United career. You know, he was on the cusp of of being part of this great glorious era and he never played for United again and then when we spoke he's a gas engineer living just outside Norwich and so it's everything from the absolute glory of that season to say to some of the people who sort of got left behind so to speak. And you spoke to people from the German perspective as well I think your your friends were a German lady who described the feeling of conceding those late goals in camp now as quote it was like bad sex, very bad sex. <laughs> yes, yeah, yeah. Um, obviously, I've never had very bad sex, so I, I, I couldn't quite... Uh, I'll leave that to, to her comparison. But no, exactly. I mean, you know, because it, it gets easy to forget. So when I, I spoke to Clive Tilsley, who was commentating for, for obviously famously for, for ITV and came up with some, you know, absolutely sort of unforgettable phrases that you know any fan United fan watching on telly that night will still remember you know name on the trophy and and, and many more but also spoke to the German um commentator because you imagine what it's like for him you know suddenly it's I mean it it, 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 it wasn't a tragedy but it's you know sport isn't tragedy but it felt like that to, to to Germany and he's trying to put into words what it feels like to be on the receiving end and in the end he said he had, he just turned his microphone off and he just said you know, sometimes sport is beyond words, and it certainly was that night. It was, uh, uh, you know, and that's another reason why I wanted to tell, write the book as a journalist that night. It was mayhem. You know, we have to write during the game. We have to send our copy on the final whistle. And, you know, United turned it the, the world on its head in 102 seconds, and we had even less time to try and rewrite all the copy we'd already written saying the treble's gone up in smoke and Fergie's picked the wrong team and why was Giggs on the right and all that stuff. And suddenly that's all in the bin because United have pulled off one of the most amazing things any of us will ever see on a sports field. What was your relationship like with Sir Alex Ferguson? Yeah, well, that was an, another reason for doing the book. You know, you will know Andy very well. It's, it was covering United um, Especially 
back in the 90s when there was so much more intimacy in the relationships, obviously, post-2000 and the internet coming along and the media sort of proliferation. Back in the 90s, it was literally half a dozen of us going down to the cliff and, you know, we had his number, we could ring him at home to check stuff. We, you know, we were in constant contact with him. And if, if we wrote something he didn't like, we would find out about it very quickly. So yeah, as I describe in the book, one day when me and another journalist had sort of snooping down at the, uh, the training ground and Andre Konchelskis told us that he wanted to put in a transfer request. And, um, yeah, Fergie had us two of us against the wall um, next day, um, going apoplectic. And but that I wanted to reflect on that as well because it, you know, it did feel like a different time. You know, people can still get up close if you work hard enough. But in those days, that was the norm that you were, you know, down at the training ground, bumping into players and uh, being on the receiving end of, uh, of Fergie's hairdryer every now and then. How do you think his methods would stand up in the modern era? Football's moved on a lot. Society's moved on a lot. Well, yeah, I mean, you know, screaming and shouting at the media um, caught on camera, I, I guess that that wouldn't have much of a shelf life. But I think he, you know, I think his psychology, I mean, he was the master of psychology. I mean, that's, you know, there may, there's probably not been a, a manager better at that, you know, ever. And that's that is a timeless... Um, quality, I think that's a timeless quality in leadership, a timeless quality in management. So, I, you know, I think as a manager himself, you know, tactically he was not an innovator. You know, ta- I mean, again, another fascination reading to go back to the book was how the players talked about how training was, you know, very little tactical work. It's not like you know we see Pep Guardiola now. With it was a different time for that. There was wasn't a great tactical sophistication, but you know he. he they didn't need that. He he picked a team, as he said, you know, it's not tactics that win football matches, it's men that win football matches. And that was the type of team he wanted to build, this team of huge personalities, this team of leaders. You just looked around the whole team. And uh, and I think, say, I think those are some pretty timeless qualities. And obviously, United have been through a tough time and um, it's you know on the upswing now. But it's those type of characters and leaders that you, you, you can feel have been lacking over the last couple of years. Did people want to speak to you or not speak to you as part of the book? I mean, you're, you're a journalist of some esteem. You you joined the Times in 1997. You, you're currently a senior sports writer for the paper. Your previous book on, on Bobby Moore was a Sunday Times bestseller. It was shortlisted for the William Hill Sports Book of the Year. Did people know that? Did they know you? Did you go back to old contacts? Well, that was—I mean, it was you know an advantage definitely of, of having covered the, the year at the time. I mean, I ghosted a, a book with David Beckham um, back at the end of the nineties. I, I ghosted Gary Neville's book Red with with him. So I had these contacts, you know, Peter Schmeichel, you know, making contact with him. I mean, he—I was on the receiving end of one of his uh, uh, tempers as well um, back in back in the day. So I had relationships with some of these guys, and I guess. You know that obviously helped. Um, so yeah, I, I I I felt lucky to. That was another reason to to, to write the book. Really, I'd, I'd sort of been there, done it at the time, and yeah, every everyone was was yeah, very cooperative. And it was, you know, you hope obviously going back and and, and reliving that time for them. You know, it was a, a great time to, to to tell stories about Dwight York. I mean, you know, to speak to him 
and he was just full of you know excitement of talking about it and why wouldn't he be you know he's this guy who turns up record signing for the club we've seen a lot of strikers struggle at united with the pressure and he just transformed the place um his whole sort of personality and you know lust for life um was again one of the defining sort of characteristics of of that of that team um and it was just great to to relive all the all the highs and lows of it dwight currently managing Close to Sydney, doing very well. He's uh, winning all his matches at the moment at the, at the top level over there. Why did Peter Schmeichel have a go at you? I mean, you, you weren't the only one. We've, we've all been there. <laughs> yeah, so uh, I basically, we were on the... Um, uh, it was just before the 1997 semi-final to uh, Borussia Dortmund and... Uh, we were waiting around at the airport, and obviously, you know, this was huge. This was, you know, United, the closest they'd been since since '68 to, uh, to to getting back to the to, to winning and triumphing in Europe. So it was a huge game, and we obviously wanted as much preview material as we could get. Anyway, I grabbed Peter at the airport and did an interview with him. This is where he came out with his famous line that uh, I asked him how well this team would compare to 1968. European champions, and he said that uh, the modern team would beat them 10-0. And he did, to be fair to him, explain that that was because the game is so much faster now, you know, the pitches were so much better, you know, everything about the game had been modernised, but um, by the time that quote had appeared on quite a few back pages, let's just say some of the uh, the nuance of his argument had, had vanished, so, um, and then George Best came out and called him disrespectful, and, and so on and so forth, and then when they obviously get knocked out by Dortmund um he basically uh yes told me that I'd made him look an ass in front of Bobby Charlton and others um he, he expressed it shall we say slightly stronger than that so even in the the pre-internet age journalists were still getting undone by headlines put on their work which has become <laughs> definitely more prevalent now yeah, well, that's yes. That's pretty much a timeless argument. I did think I, I do in my in my protestations did say to him, look, you know, it was the words that were fine. It was you know, we, we, even the journalists got stitched up by the headlines. But I, I don't think I got very far into that before. Before uh, it, it was basically I felt like what it's like to be, uh, you know, Yap Stam or Ronnie Johnson, Ronnie Johnson after they've um, screwed screwed up in defence, basically. And uh, I mean, yeah, we've all seen Peter. Um, lose it on the pitch and I have to say it's, uh, it's pretty intimidating to me on the uh, receiving end of it. There's some incredible detail about uh, that season including the evening and of the 26th of May and the morning of the 27th of May. Where were you? You'd, you'd failed your report. The players go to the Hotel Arts in Barcelona. A lot of them have told you what they were, they were getting up to do. Uh, what were you doing? And how did you know that Ferguson was on the terrace the next morning outside the hotel? Were you meeting these people? Were you getting access? Yeah, well, I think after the game, honestly, I, th- I, you know, some of the players, Gary Neville says it was the, the first sleepless night of his life, and um, certainly Dwight York um, didn't get any sleep. He was up to uh, too much other fun. But uh, as journalists, I think you know you've been there. The, the adrenaline is still buzzing. You know, hours later, you know you've had the frenzy of the game itself, but also the frenzy of rewriting the most amazing story you've seen. So I think we were all, we were staying in uh, Castel de Fels just, just along the coast. And I think eventually got back to our hotel in the early hours and, and just sat there and 
um, had a few drinks, you know, deep into the night just to sort of relive the drama. And um, yeah, you, you are buzzing with adrenaline. And then because they'd won, um, the club let us um, know that, you know, a, a sort of select group were, were invited down to, to, to reflect with Alex Ferguson the morning after. And that was just one of the great privileges of the job. So we were went down to the Arts Hotel and to sit with Fergie and to hear him reflect on this extraordinary achievement and what it meant to him. Because, you know, United had come so close before and obviously there have been decades of, of, of striving and failing to, to, to repeat the, the heroics of, of 68. And for us, it was like, you know, imagine what it was like as a journalist sitting around with Matt Busby after 68 and hearing him talk about how he'd rebuilt after Munich and obviously with Best and, uh, and Charlton and Law and, and so on. It was, it was our equivalent. It was to sit around with the most successful British manager of all time and hear how he had got to the mountaintop. And, and that was, say, another reason I wanted to write the book is because I was lucky and privileged enough to have those kind of experiences at the time. Do you think any other English team can win that treble? Well, I, th I think there's one line, and I think the, 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 almost the last line of the book is is that uh, you know, another English team will win a treble, but they can't possibly win it like this. And I, I think I, I think that's true. I think another team will win the treble. As I say, um, City a couple of years ago, you know, one stage you thought, wow, they're going to do a quadruple. Then obviously they 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 blow the FA Cup and they blow the Champions League final. Um, Liverpool, obviously people were talking about, you know, is this the quad squad? Uh, and then they only end up with two domestic cups. It partly shows how hard it is and how, you know, how everything has got to fall into place and, and, and how extraordinary that United achievement was. But I, I, th I think it will be done, but I just can't possibly believe it will be done with uh, the drama and everything that went into that 99 year. I mean, it, you know, that was another thing to, that wanted, made me want to do the book. It was... It was, the more I looked at that year and what was crammed into it, it was the year that Murdoch tried to buy United, for example, um, which in itself was a you know massive massive story at the time. It was the season when United became the richest sporting entity on on the planet. It was you know, there was just so much going on at that time. It was the year, obviously Beckham is coming back from his whole you know this uh, this um, dismissal at the the World Cup and and all the terrible scapegoating he had after that. Roy Keane is coming back from a year out with injury. It was just so much condensed into this one year that uh, it sort of made the story sort of irresistible to write, basically. I'm just looking on page 417 of the book at the Premier League table and Manchester United failed to win 16 of the 38 games that season. Only got 79 points. Arsenal second with 78 Chelsea third with 75. It was tight right to the end, wasn't it? Domestically in the cups and everything. Well, that's the thing. You know, Sometimes people say, oh, 79 points, can they have been that great a team? But if you generally look at the points totals then, they were less, you know, they weren't teams getting 100 points or even close because the league was more competitive then. There was the gap between, you know, top and bottom was, was, was generally less. It was more condensed and... Uh, you know, that doesn't mean this this team was any worse. It just means it was a different time. And as you say, they were they were up against a great Arsenal team. I mean, Gary Neville says that he still thinks they, this was the best Arsenal team, better than the Invincibles and and what followed with Thierry Henry because they were 
this lot were tough. I mean, super tough. And they'd won the double the year before. They had Arsene Wenger coming in and, and revolutionising the game. So it was domestically huge. In the FA Cup, obviously, you having to overcome Liverpool. You having to overcome Chelsea with the replay. You having to overcome you know Arsenal in Villa Park, one of the most you know amazing domestic games we've ever seen. So, you know, to, in Europe, obviously, having to get through Bayern Munich and Barcelona just to just to qualify out of the group. Um, coming against Juventus, who had been to three Champions League finals. So, you know, everywhere this was a, a colossal challenge. Um, and to to have everything, you know, fall your way, well, it wasn't even a question of that. They, they shaped everything, United, so that it did fall their way. And that, that was the amazing thing. Every time you thought, this treble's going to go up in smoke. Something amazing happened. Well, I'd like to thank you for your time. Uh, an extract from the Beckham chapter is in the current United We Stand. Alex Notman is in the next United We Stand, which will be out in October. There's not been a home game, well, 35 days without a home game, and then we've got five in 18 days. So that will be in that issue. And the book is also reviewed in the current United We Stand. Please that it gets a positive review. Maybe we wouldn't be doing this interview otherwise, but the Alex, who, uh, Alex uh, who reviewed it, uh, really enjoyed it, and I think that's reflected, and, and rightly so. So, 1999, Manchester United, the treble and all that, published by Simon & Schuster, by Matt Dickinson. It would make a fantastic uh, Christmas present. Uh, thanks for your time, Matt. Thank you, Andy. No, it's been great to talk about it. So that's it for this podcast. After well, no matches, we've got the Manchester Derby coming up next Sunday and then a lot of games, nine games in October. We will be at every single one. We will have a podcast from every single one, be it from Old Trafford, be it in Cyprus. We may even go on the road for one of the other podcasts. We're working on the new United We Stand now. Uh, that will be out, well, be first on sale against Ammonia at home. And if you want to subscribe for the next 10 issues, you can see the links on our website, uwsonline.com. Uh, if you're not buying in Sterling, it's probably as cheap as it's ever going to be. Uh, we're going to try and hold the cost. We're going to face another massive cost rise at the start of October, but we're getting really good support from people buying the Maggie in good numbers. So... If you can continue to support us, let's see how we go. Thanks for listening to this podcast. And the next one will be after, well, hopefully a decent result in the Manchester Derby over there.